Grace and peace to you this morning. We're so glad that uh, you're here with us this morning. We want to welcome you, whether you're a, a member, a new member, a visitor. We welcome you and we want you to know that, that you're loved. You're loved by God. You're loved by Jesus. You're loved by this body of believers. Um, you know, it's so good this morning to hear the sounds of, of young children. And that's a, that's a sound that God delights in. Um, you know, one of the saddest things is to walk into a church building and to hear silence, you know. Um, to hear young children means that these young children are being raised in the faith. And so that's a, a wonderful blessing. Uh, today we're in Isaiah chapter 10 and 11. So if you have your Bible, we're going to do things the old school way today. And we're going to ask you to follow along in your Bible. And we're going to be looking at some passages in chapter 10 and in chapter 11. And so uh, Isaiah is one of the prophetic books. It's a ma- he's a major prophet. And uh, the, the prophets, whether they're the major prophets or they're the, the minor prophets, they, they tend to focus on two things, and that is judgment and hope. And so the prophets point out the sins of the people of God and also the sins of the nations. They, they are unafraid to speak up about what needs to change in a nation or in the the lives of people. They talk about idolatry and injustice. They they make it known when widows, orphans, and foreigners are, are not being cared for. They sometimes speak of the horrors of child sacrifice or the destruction that happens in the lives of those who practice sexual immorality. And so whatever sin has has captured the hearts of the people, the the, the prophets unapologetically speak openly about it and and the dangers that come with that sin. And and they let people know that God sees what's going on. And so on, on one hand, the prophets speak of sin and judgment, but on the other hand, they speak of hope. Sin will not go unpunished. God will will judge his people and he will judge the nations for whatever deeds they have done. But at the same time, there is always hope. And God is a loving and he is a merciful God. He is gracious to his people even when they do not deserve it. Most importantly, he has a plan to save humanity. And the prophets do not shy away from the the, the current sinfulness of humanity. But they also look forward to the coming of the Messiah. And so hope is never far from their tongues. Now Isaiah chapters 10 and 11 are chapters that are full of judgment and hope. Chapter 10 focuses on judgment. And then chapter 11 focuses on hope. And so if you have your Bibles open, you can look at just the the opening verses of chapter 10. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. It says, Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees, or sinful decrees, sinful laws, and the writers who keep writing oppression, to turn aside the needy from justice, and to rob the poor of my people of their right that widows may be their spoil, and that they may make the fatherless their prey. 
What will you do on the day of punishment in the ruin that will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your wealth? So we learn here that the people of God were guilty of oppression. They had become wealthy on the backs of poor people. They were living comfortably while others around them were going without. And finally, God speaks up and God asks this question. When judgment comes, what are you going to do with all that wealth? And we tend to think that that wealth secures our future. But God says there's a day coming when your wealth will not be able to protect you. Your wealth is not going to help you when you stand before God. Now, later in the chapter, you can skip down to verses 17 through 20. We find these words. The light of Israel will become a fire and his holy one a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and briars in one day. The glory of his forests and of his fruitful land, the Lord will destroy both soul and body. And it will be as when a sick man wastes away, the remnant of the trees of his forest will be so few that a child can write them down. And in that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, speaking of Assyria there, but will lean on the Lord the Holy One of Israel in truth. And so the people of God had depended on the military might of Assyria to protect them. They depended on Assyria rather than God. And so this is why God says to the remnant who remain, the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck him, but they will learn to lean on the Lord, on God. And so this begs the question, Who is it that we lean on? And I'm not talking about, you know, who we lean on for eternity. Who do we lean on when we find ourselves in a difficult situation? Who do we lean on right now? You see, Israel never stopped believing in God. They never stopped worshiping God. What they did is they stopped trusting in God in the everyday moments of their life. They professed God with their mouths, but they did not live as if God, uh, as if his words and his promises mattered. And so God was a part of their lives, but God was not their priority. He did not come first. And there were other things that that mattered to them more. And, And because they did not trust in the only one who could truly save them, uh, many of them suffered consequences. They trusted in Assyria. And once Assyria was done with them, Assyria destroyed them. Now, we live in a culture where a lot of people don't trust God at all anymore. They don't believe in God. They've turned their backs on God. And this is why our culture continues to become more and more secular. 
But, but meanwhile, there's still a lot of people who profess the name of Christ, but don't live as if they are a Christ follower. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean that we simply profess Jesus. It means that we follow Jesus and that this becomes our priority. Following Jesus is more important than our allegiance to our country. It's more important than our jobs. It's more important than even our family. It's more important than our hobbies and what we like to do. And this isn't just me talking. I mean, it's reality. It's what God says. It's what he's saying in this passage. And we need to take a long, hard look at what our priorities actually are. Because if we haven't sacrificed anything for God lately, then maybe that's because he's not the number one priority in our life. Well, after reading chapter 10, it looks pretty bleak for the people of God. I mean, they, they were unfaithful, they sinned, they did not put God first in their lives. And because of this, they faced judgment. Assyria came and Assyria conquered. And people were hurt, people lost their lives, people lost their possessions because they did not trust in God. And after all this is done, the outlook um, does not look good. It looks as if it's over. It looks as if there, there is no hope. And then we read chapter 11. And in this chapter, we are presented with an incredible image that should always remind us of who God is and what God is capable of. And so look there at the, the very few verse, first few verses of chapter 11. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked and righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And so the prophet begins with an image of a stump that is dead. And we can all picture that. We've all seen something like that before. Um, this, this stump is beyond hope because there is no life in it. It used to be a thriving tree, but it has been chopped down. It is no more. And, and, and this image represents where the people of God were at. And it seems their time has come to an end. And if they were any other nation, this would be true. But they are God's people, and God is still with them. Jesus would later utter these words, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And this is not the only image that we find like this in the Bible. 
In the book of Ezekiel, we, we find an image of a valley of dry bones, a, a, a death valley, a, a valley that has no life in it, and yet God breathes new life into those lifeless bodies. Another time in the book of Genesis, uh, God comes to Abraham and he tells him that he's going to make a great nation from his descendants. Now, the only problem is that Abraham and Sarah are, are past this childbearing age and they don't have any children. And so you can understand how they have a difficult time believing this promise that God has made. And God does a very interesting thing. He does it in Genesis 15 and verse 5. It says, and God brought Abraham outside and said, look, look toward heaven and number the stars. And if you're able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Again, we, we can understand how Abraham has a hard time believing this promise. You know, it, it's kind of beyond him. But then we find this beautiful picture of God taking Abraham outside and asking him to look up at the sky. And the point that God is making is if he can make all of this if he can create all those stars, if he can create all those planets, if he can create all those solar systems, then he can certainly make a great nation out of the descendants of Abraham. And I think sometimes we need to stop what we're doing and we need to walk outside and we need to just look up. Because we need to be reminded of what God has done so we can trust in what he is doing. Because with God, all things are possible. Now, obviously, this passage in Isaiah 11 is about Jesus. I'm sure most of you already know that. When the, the lineage of, of David, that's why this stump is called the stump of Jesse, when the, when the lineage of David seemed as if it was dead and forgotten, God sends his son to be the rightful king, not only of Israel, but of the entire world. And Jesus is the shoot that comes forth from the stump of Jesse. And he is the light in a dark world. And he comes to offer hope to those who have no hope. Jesus is this unexpected gift who comes to offer salvation, not just to Israel, but to the entire world. And Isaiah keeps reminding us about Jesus because we need to be reminded over and over again, but this is also a passage about us. Because this passage of hope was given to Israel while they were in the middle of a very dark period. They faced circumstances that they had never faced before. They were uncertain about their future. They weren't quite sure what they were going to do that they didn't know what was going to happen. And then Isaiah comes and he speaks these words to them. And we too face the unexpected in life. And we don't always get the news that we want to hear. And we sometimes find ourselves in situations where we just don't know what to do. 
And life is hard and it can be difficult at times to, to, to see that, that light at the end of the tunnel. And you may have faced situations in the past that seemed hopeless. And this is why we need to be familiar with passages like Isaiah 11. It's because we serve the same God Israel served. And we serve the same God that creates life from a dead stump and brings dry, dead bones back to life. And we serve the same God that raised Jesus from the grave. A God that conquered both sin and death. And Isaiah 11, it reminds us of all of this. And so as long as we have God, we are never, never in a place without hope. And we need to know this. Isaiah is the one who who gives us the name Emmanuel, a name which means God with us because he is our rock he is our fortress he is our protector and there is no situation that God cannot handle now at the same time we need to learn from the mistakes of Israel God could have protected them in any situation but some of them thought it was better to place some of their trust in a foreign nation, in Assyria. Something God told them not to do. And because of this, they faced the wrath of Assyria. The greatest command in the Bible is to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. The first commandment that we find in those Ten Commandments is to not place anything before God, to make God our first Priority because he is preeminent. We put him first in our lives, and not just on Sunday, but in every moment of every day. Israel found themselves in a dark place because they had rejected the ways of God. They did not heed the words of the prophet, they did not trust in the promises of God. We need to understand that that God is not a safety net. He is not an insurance policy just in case something goes wrong. God is the creator of the universe. He is the ruler of heaven and earth. He is our savior. He is our redeemer. And we cannot toss God to the side as if he does not matter. Because he does matter. In fact, he is all that matters because without God, it doesn't matter how much wealth we accumulate or how successful we become, or how many books we read, because none of that will matter in the end without God. And it's the same reason God asked in Isaiah 10, on the day of judgment, what will you do with your wealth? It won't save you. You can't take it with you. It's not going to impress God. When when you die, your your wealth is meaningless, your success is meaningless, your intelligence is meaningless, and all that matters is your faithfulness. And so with God, all things are possible. There is hope in every situation. So are you following God? 
Is he your number one priority? Are you faithful to the one who creates life even where there is none? Because this is all that matters. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for who you are and what you have done. And Father, we pray that we would make you the priority in all of our lives, that you would be number one, that you would come first in all that we do. Father, we confess that sometimes we fall short of this, and we ask you to help us in these times. And we pray that you revive us, and you not only revive us, but you revive uh, the church in America. And we pray that, that people would turn to you and trust you even when it looks dark and it looks bleak. Father, we pray that we would put our hope in you because we know that you can bring life where there is no life and that you can resurrect what is dead. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us great faithfulness and that we would follow you in every moment of every day. We're so thankful for Jesus who came to, to give his life on the cross for us, to sacrifice himself, to, to die upon a cross for our salvation. We pray this in his name. Amen.